0: It's great to see everybody this morning. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you to New Life Baptist Church. It's good to see all of our church family here this almost week before Christmas. We'll be getting together next Sunday morning on Christmas Eve, and then we'll have a Christmas Eve service as well. Really a late announcement going out about small groups. We've been mentioning that on Sunday nights but probably haven't said it too much on Sunday mornings but this is our last small group for the year and the small groups that pick up the second Sunday in January to give our teachers a little bit of a break during this holiday season. I um, want to make sure everybody uh, knew of an announcement that was made last uh, Sunday night and also on Facebook but if you haven't heard uh, Philip and Abigail, even though Philip has disappeared, but uh, (laughs) Philip and Abigail are engaged uh, to be married, so we're excited about that and want to make sure the church family all knows about that. This morning, I want to share with you a message that I've entitled, We Are Not Ignorant, How the Devil Seeks to Devour. I told you uh, about three weeks ago that I I would be sharing uh, this message with you uh, today, and I uh, want to follow through on that, even though after the singing I feel a little bit out of place because it would be nice if the title was something more like uh, Why the Devil Hates Christmas or something along those lines. But <clears throat> this is what uh, I have for you this morning, and I trust what the Lord has for us as a church <laughs> as we grow together in our understanding of, of the Lord, of His Word, and uh, also of our adversary, the devil. Because I don't have one particular text that I'm reading from this morning, I want to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll uh, get into the message together. So if you would, join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Father, and I pray for all of our people all of this assembly, those here present, those joining online. Lord, for those who just might watch for whatever reason, I pray, Father God, that you would be sanctified in all of our hearts, from the oldest to the youngest, men, women, boys and girls, Lord, be sanctified in our hearts. And I thank you, Father, today that Jesus Christ came into this world and He is truly able to save us, not partially, but He is able to save us to the uttermost, save each one to the uttermost who come to Him because He is holy harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. I ask you now, Lord, as we look to your word, please instruct us by your spirit. Move us, Lord, to be diligent as the people of God, not living in ignorance, but knowing how the devil seeks to devour us. And Lord, we commit this time to you and ask you to be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen we are not ignorant how the devil seeks to devour. What I want to do to begin with is give you just sort of some preliminary verses. And I have all of these up on the screen. I wouldn't ask you to turn to all of these today. In each one of the verses that I'm about to show you, I'll have emboldened the word uh, Satan or the devil or devil. And um, in this, you see not only how the devil, how we have to respond to the devil, but how the the devil himself is used uh, in certain situations in the church, uh, used by God. And what I'm talking about there in church discipline situations where somebody might be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, you'll see a couple of those references in the list that I'm about to give to you today. So let's work through this, um, noticing some things about the devil in the Bible. In uh, Luke 8, verse 12, you'll know that this is, in the context of the sower and the seed, and here's what it says, uh, those by the wayside, talking about the seeds that fell by the wayside, uh, are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So the devil was very active when the word of God is preached and proclaimed to seek to take that away if it falls by the wayside. Uh, in Luke 13, verse 16, this is in the story of the uh, lady who was, uh, had a spirit of infirmity for uh, some 18 years. And here's what Jesus says in response to her being healed on the Sabbath and the criticism that he received. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the sabbath. So this lady in Jesus' opinion was bound by Satan in this infirmity for 18 years. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 in the, in the situation here of the man in sexual immorality in the church and here's what Paul says, he says deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, and I use that one as far as being used, Satan being used by the Lord in the church to bring about um, really good for a believer as they're turned over to Satan and his flesh is destroyed. Uh, next, we see 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Here is the context here of false apostles or false False prophets, and uh, the apostle writes about Satan. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. You see how the Satan works there, himself being transformed into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 is the next reference. Here, Paul is talking about a messenger of Satan that he had in his flesh that buffeted him. He had prayed to the Lord three times that it would be removed, and Jesus' response was that his grace is sufficient. Uh, So, the scripture I have before you says this, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So, Paul recognized this thorn in the flesh that he had, whatever it was, that it was a messenger of Satan to buffet the apostle. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, you're familiar with this one. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then the last part, this is verse 27. It says, nor give place to the devil. In other words, do not give a foothold to the devil. This is a warning that's given to the church and I'm giving you these passages to help you see how really active the devil is or is seeking to be in our lives as a church. It's quite, quite clear. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, concerning Hymenaeus and Alexander, the apostle Paul writes, "...whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme." These apparently being men in the church that were delivered to Satan for the purpose as it is stated. In James 4, verse 7, the Bible says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If there's anything, very simply, that we all learn from this verse, the church is, is this, that we must resist the devil. Um, one of the greatest, and somebody has said this, I'm not sure who it, who it was, One of the greatest lies that the devil has caused the church to believe is that he is not real. And to go beyond that to say that another lie would be that he is not really active among us or seeking to be active among us. We are being ignorant if we think that. The Bible is clear that we are to submit to God. We are to (laughs) resist the devil. And the scripture says he will flee from us. Now in 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, the Bible says this, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We can realize as a church that when it comes to the devil and his seeking to be involved in our lives and even to devour us, as we're going to see the scripture says, is that... um, we do not have to succumb to that because Jesus Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. This at the end of Peter's letter, and he would have certainly known something about this, wouldn't he have? As he writes at the end of his first letter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In this verse, again, we see the things that I've already tried to to state to you. The activity of the devil and our responsibility as a church to resist him. Not only that, we are sober-minded, and I would hope, honestly, this morning that as I share with you some of the, some of the points, some of the scripture uh, that I'll share with you today, that this will help us as a church to be sober when it comes to the devil, when it, and, and that we would be vigilant as well in our lives, in our thoughts, in our beliefs, in the truth that we are holding to. And this begins very much with what are we feeding our minds? What is the truth that we are claiming? Is it from the Bible? Is it from the Word of God? Or is it something that we find somewhere else? We want to turn to the Scripture and hear what God says and be sober. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, and I think this is the last one, (coughs) verses 9 and 10 only I have here in front of you. It says, uh, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. You see the many titles, names listed of Satan there in this short passage. And that what he is seeking to do and what he is doing is accusing the brethren. Now, let's go to point number one. As we look at some ways in which. The devil seeks to devour. The first one that I would uh, submit to you this morning is by causing doubt of church leaders. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Eric, you're just kind of making that up because that's the point that you need uh, to present or whatever, but it's not. And as we were working through First Thessalonians, this became evident to, to me, and I want to make sure that it's evident to you so much as we see it in Scripture, if you would uh, look there in First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 18, and I do hope that you remember a little bit of the context of the letter to the Thessalonians, I will not recap that. But in verse 18, Paul wrote to this church that he founded through the preaching of the gospel along with the other missionaries who were with him. And he says, "Therefore we wanted to come to you, First Thessalonians 2:18, We wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So you have here Paul wanting to go back to the Thessalonians, but for whatever reason, he could not make it back there. Now, in the very next verse, here's what he says, and it's unusual unless we understand this. Verse 19, he says of the Thessalonians, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Why would he write such to the Thessalonians just sort of out of the blue here? If it, it maybe it's not out of the blue. Maybe it's because Satan having hindered Paul from coming back to them, they have begun to doubt Paul's love for them, Paul's true concern for them. So now he follows up saying that satan has hindered his arrival there his coming back to them by saying that they are his hope joy crown of rejoicing now if that doesn't convince you let's go to chapter three here in chapter three verse one he continues to write and he says therefore when we could no longer endure it we thought it good to be left in athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. All right, now notice verse 3. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Remember, Paul was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And now he's concerned that they are shaken by his suffering. And he reminds them that they were appointed to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Continuing in verse 4. For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. Now in verse 5. For this reason. When I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Lest, by some means, the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. See, Paul was concerned about this church, that the circumstances that had availed themselves... In the life of the apostle and the missionaries had so been taken by Satan, by the tempter to cause the Thessalonians to begin to doubt those missionaries that brought them the gospel to begin with and who had done so much for them. So Paul is writing to them very carefully, but not just writing, but he actually sent Timothy there to help establish them and strengthen them. In regards to this, and then to report back to Paul about whether these things are true or not. What's the lesson that we can learn from that? We can learn that, hey, we need to be aware that the devil's seeking to turn us against one another. And we can be tempted and we can be led astray if we're not very careful. First point, causing doubt of Christian leaders. Second point, though, here we see the ensnaring of Christian leaders. Now we're going to move to some different texts now. If you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. No, not verse 17, verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. The devil works in this way in the church. Now, these are the qualifications for overseers. You might see that at the top of chapter 3 in 1 Timothy. And you'll see the, the name, the title Bishop given there in chapter 3, verse 1. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So this is talking about the pastor, the elder, the overseer, the bishop in the church. All of those titles are used uh, to refer to the same office in a local church. And then he goes through the qualifications, uh, what, you look, what the church should look for in a man uh, who would serve in that role. Finding in chapters 3 or chapter 3, verses 2. Through 5, and then going to verse 6, it says, Not a novice. So he is um, not someone who is young in the faith. He's not a new convert. Verse 6 Not a novice, not a new convert, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. The devil, who was someone who was once exalted, had been cast down. An elder being put into that place as a new convert could be puffed up with pride and be lifted up to um, that uh, office in the church, Being put down because he is in pride. And then in verse 7, saying about him, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, that's those who are outside of the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So Paul didn't write this because it couldn't happen. He wrote this because it could happen. And that's the thing I would love to get across to us today is that these things can happen. So a pastor or elder who's placed into that office too quickly could walk right into a snare of the devil and um, be ensnared by him. All right? So ensnaring of Christian leaders. Point number three. The tempting of Christian marriages. The tempting of Christian marriages. Here we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul deals a great deal. In this chapter with marriage. With being single. Or with marrying. Giving the church some good instruction. Concerning this. And. As we make our way through the passage, we come down to verse 5. And here's what he says in verse 5. Do not deprive one another. This is talking about the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Right. That you should give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And there's probably a lot to learn uh, in Christian marriages here at New Life Baptist Church from that From that, um Statement that he makes there, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. The expectation in marriages, apparently here, in uh, as he's writing to the Corinthians, is that married couples would give themselves (coughs) to fasting and prayer. During that time, they would abstain from the sexual relationship. And he goes on in verse 5 and says, And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. Because of your lack of self-control. Wow. In the midst of doing something good, something that is holy, something that is biblical, fasting and praying, the devil could use that as an opportunity to tempt Christians in marriage. And then they would sin in some way because of that isn't that interesting that right in the midst of this this instruction this good instruction paul recognizes this weakness in the sinful flesh of humanity and he knows that satan will use that as an opportunity now let's go to point number four filling christian hearts filling christian hearts And here I'd like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And this is a, this is, I think this passage is one that really caused me to begin to view things a little bit differently when it comes to the activity of the devil among Christians in the church. Um, Because the Bible says what it says. And we take it by God's grace for what it says. The context here is uh, the church in the early days, and what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read a few verses to give us a flow of it. In chapter 4, at the end of it, there there, there were Christians, one in particular, Barnabas, who sold some land, and you see there in verse 37, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. These things were happening apparently in the church and that money was given and then the money was distributed to take care of the church. They had grown quite large in Jerusalem, up to 5,000 in number we know um, around this time. In chapter 5 verse 1 it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Verse 3. <clears throat> well, I said nothing wrong with it. It's nothing wrong with bringing in laying to the apostles' feet. The part that uh, we're going to see is wrong is that they kept back part of the proceeds. Now, in verse 3, but, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan... Filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Apparently what has happened here is he sold it for a certain amount. He brought the money and presented it as though this is what he sold the land for when in fact he kept back part of it for himself acting like what he brought was the full amount. It's not that he had to bring all of it but he lied giving the impression that he was bringing all just like Barnabas did. Excuse me just a moment. All right, so we pick up in verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last, so great fear came upon all all those who heard these things. All right? So um, here we see Ananias falling down dead, and then his wife's going to come in, and the same thing is going to befall her. But in verse 3, as we go back to that, you'll notice the emphasis here. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Ananias was, from everything that we can gather from Scripture, we would have to be adding to Scripture to determine otherwise, but Ananias and Sapphira were church members. They were believers. They were Christians from everything that that I can gather from the text. That's why they were able to come into the church and present this as they did. They were members of the church. But Peter, upon his and Ananias' hypocrisy and lying said to him, Why has Satan filled your heart? So again, Satan used this good thing in the church and he used it as an opportunity for his to devour for his schemes. <clears throat> now, I've got some supplementary passages I want to present to you. I think I have them on the screen actually. First was Mark 8 verse 33. This is in the context here of, and we saw this on Wednesday night several weeks ago, but uh, Peter, you know, uh, when Jesus had said that he was going to go to the cross, go to Jerusalem and be um, betrayed, spat upon, be beaten, be scourged, crucified, would be buried and rise again on the third day. After Jesus had presented that to the disciples, Peter pulled him to the side and said, no, Lord, these things never happened to you. And Jesus responds in this way. It says, but when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of men. I'm sorry, the things of God, but the things of men. This makes me think as I as I connect this with Acts chapter five, verse three. And I began to ask myself, how is it that Satan can fill our hearts? How is it that Satan can get into our hearts somehow or the other and mess with us? Maybe that's the answer right there on the screen. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When we, in whatever circumstance that it might be in, in the church... Even it could be something really good that's going on. But when a portion of us or one of us begins to view things and be mindful of the things of men rather than the things of God, that might be a good indication that the devil's working in us. Another supplementary passage that I would give to you is this, and this is very interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here, Paul is given instruction concerning widows. Again, the church taking care of widows, this something being something very good in the church. He gives a lot of detail, a lot of good instruction regarding this. I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'll point out these passages when I get there. He says, Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. In other words, the children or grandchildren ought to take care of the widow. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues supplicate in supplications and prayers night and day. In the early church, that was the expectation of widows who were taken into the number, putting on the list that they would... Um, Be left alone, trust in God. As they are left alone, they trust in God and continue in supplications and prayer night and day. Verse six, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. They, the widows, may be blameless. Uh I understand it in that way. Verse eight, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. Now, that was the cutoff, And not unless she's been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children. If she has lodged strangers. If she has washed the saints feet. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That was the qualification, the the criteria for putting a widow on the list. Verse 11. But refuse younger widows. A a widow, in in case some of you don't know, is when a lady's husband has passed away, has died. But refuse younger widows, those less than 60. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they have, um, let's see, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And now we pick up, uh, I'm on verse 13, we're about to get on verse 14. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Now verse 14. Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. You notice there, get married, have babies, take care of your house. That'll keep you busy. Any mommas here say amen to that? And that'll keep you out of other people's business as well. Now. Verse 15. For some have already turned aside after Satan. There were widows. Younger widows apparently in the church. That this instruction was not followed. Or perhaps it had not been given yet. And though they tried to devote themselves to Christ. They. They. Grow wanton of Christ. And Paul goes so far to say that they had already turned aside after Satan. So even in this good thing of trying to take care of widows in the church. The devil was active and he caused some to follow after him rather than to follow after Christ. See, most of the stuff that we're seeing here has to do with the church doing church stuff and the devil being active in it. <clears throat> Another one is this, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26. This is the last supplemental reference that has to go do with filling Christian hearts. <clears throat> now, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul's given instruction to Timothy, obviously, and he talks about him, the, the servant of God, in verse 24 And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So whatever the situation here, we do know this. Timothy was dealing with opposition. We know that Timothy was dealing with those who opposed the truth. And that God would perhaps grant them repentance if they were to be able to learn the truth. In verse 26, we see him further say, and that they may come to their senses. That's another, reminds me of the prodigal son. He came to his senses and he returned to the father. So it says here, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. All right? All right. So these people who were in opposition that Timothy was to correct were people who had been ensnared by Satan, ensnared by the devil. Now, I don't know if you know what a snare is. Um, A snare, these days, if you were to look up a snare online and order one, you know, to catch like a coyote or something, um, you would take that snare and it might be a loop, And it would be set across a path where these animals walk. And the animal would walk through this, it's a loop made out of a thin cable. And you would that animal would walk right through that loop or snare, and as he walks through it, because it won't expand, he puts pressure on it and it begins to contract and it gets smaller. So it gets smaller around his neck, but then it will not loosen back up. So that animal then is caught in this snare, and when the hunter comes to find that animal or to check his snare, what he would find there is an animal floundering around because it has been caught in the snare and it cannot release itself. But the path that that animal was walking down was one that it commonly walked down, no doubt but it walked into the snare. And so it is with snares that the devil sets. He will set them for us, believers, Christians, as we're going right down the paths that we normally go down, and then before you know it, we're ensnared. Here, Timothy's dealing with, could it be those outside the church? Only yes. Yes. Could it be those inside the church who had been ensnared and need to repent and need to come to their senses because they have been taken captive by the devil during this time to do his will? Seems reasonable. Satan fills hearts. He did that of Ananias and Sapphira. What does it take to get folks out of this? Well, gentleness, teaching, teaching, patience, correcting, all of these things that Paul tells Timothy. Now, point number, I'm sorry, I never went to it earlier, did I? Yeah, I did, yeah, I did. Point number five, dividing Christian people. As we go to our last two here, if you go to Romans chapter 16, Romans 16, dividing Christian people. Romans 16, and I'll start reading at verse 17 through verse 20. Romans 16, 17 through verse 20. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions. Let everybody get there. Romans 16, verse 17. Just like those uh, folks in 2 Thessalonians who were uh, busybodies, who were idle, They were to be noted by the church. Here the same word is used in Romans 16 verse 17. But a different group of people. Now I urge you brethren. Note those who cause divisions and offenses. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So you're to to note them and you're to avoid them. Verse 18. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Okay, so that's what's going on. The church needs to be aware of this. I'm not saying that it's Christians in the church. I'm not saying that it's uh, people outside of the church. I'm not saying who it is. All I'm telling you right now is Paul says, to note them, those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. Now, in verse 18, you'll notice that a lot of times when they do this, it's going to be by smooth words and flattering speech. It's going to sound right, but it ain't going to be right. Verse 19. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Great verse. There's several verses like that in the Bible. Verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. For a long time, I scratched my head when I got to that verse. I'm like, Paul, why all of a sudden throw this in there saying that that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly? I don't get it. Why? Why would you just include that here? Do you see why he includes it? Avoid those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. The only thing that I can do in understanding that passage and how Satan needed to be crushed among the church at that time was because Satan had something to do with the division that was occurring. And there's going to come time, Paul promises them, that Satan's going to be crushed under their feet. The God of peace will crush satan under your feet shortly last point i have some supplemental verses to go with that one but i don't have time to reference them really last point is this taking advantage of in christian discipline church discipline now i want to ask you to turn to second corinthians chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 second corinthians 2 8 through 11 if you remember that guy who got turned over to satan in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 anybody remember that we looked at it earlier he was turned over to satan all right he repented and came back he repented and got right with the lord and this is what paul is addressing here in second corinthians chapter 2 He's talking to the Corinthians about how they need to deal or respond with this brother who has repented of his sin. Alright, so now it's 2 Corinthians 2 verse 8. Here's what he says. Now I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Excuse me. I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So the church needs to love this guy. They need to reaffirm it. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now, here's where it comes in, verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. That means get the best of us. Satan should get the best of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's what would happen. The church in Corinth had this situation going on. If they did not reaffirm their love to this brother who had repented. And if they did not forgive him who had repented. And settle that then Satan is going to take that opportunity of unforgiveness and love that is not shown toward a brother who's repented and he's going to use that and take advantage of the church with it. He's going to get the best of the church. Now I've said it before and I'll say it again. We as New Lock Baptist Church, among our fellowship, whether it's a case of church discipline or not, we must be quick And ready to forgive one another. Because you better believe and know. That the devil wants to take advantage of us. Regarding unforgiveness. And any sort of hypocritical love that we might have for one another. So God give us grace. That we would be able to be a people. Who quickly forgive. And are aware of the snares that the devil sets for us. And yes, I could say has even caught us in at times. Now, what do we do in regard to all of this? We resist him and we stand fast in the faith and we are sober minded. We put on the armor of God because we know that we have an adversary, the devil. And we know that Jesus Christ has defeated him through the cross. He has abolished him who had power of death that is the devil. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, we do have the victory finally and we can have the victory today as we seek to abide in him and obey his word in our relationships with one another. Yeah, you know, I think the devil probably does hate Christmas. Because on that day, we're going to, you know, look at more next 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 week, over these next couple weeks, as, as Christians here in America, remember what Christ being born. Listen. Christ has came and He's defeated, defeated the devil through the, through the cross. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, being seen alive from the dead, Jesus Christ through the gospel has defeated Him and given eternal life to those who believe in Him. But not just that, He can give us the victory now as we battle and live this life together for the glory of God. I pray, church, that as we hear these points today from God's Word, that we will not be ignorant of how the devil seeks to devour. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the attention that your people have given to your word today. Father, it is my desire that your word would run swiftly among us and be glorified that the, the gospel would have a powerful effect in our lives by causing us, Lord, to be a people of faith, love, and of hope. A work of showing works of faith, having labor of love, and having patience of hope. Lord, not just for ourselves, but among one another. And I pray your word, Father, would be remembered, that it would be applied. And Father, as we grow together, that we would learn more and more how to glorify you in our interactions with one another. Father, help us to be aware and be sober-minded. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.